లవింగ్ సాయిరామ్ అండ్ గ్రీటింగ్స్ ఫ్రమ్ ప్రశాంతి నిలయం ఇఫ్ యూ రీకాల్ లాస్ట్ టైమ్ ఐ నారేటెడ్ ద స్టోరీ ఆఫ్ ది పెన్ ఫౌంటెన్ పెన్ దట్ స్వామి గేవ్ మీ అండ్ ఇస్ రిమార్క్ దట్ ఇన్ లైఫ్ ఎవ్రీథింగ్ ఈస్ స్పిరిచువల్ ఐ యాడెడ్ దట్ దిస్ ఈస్ ఎగ్జాక్ట్లీ ఇన్ ద స్పిరిట్ ఆఫ్ ద గీతా and i also mentioned that i would explain that remark next time so maybe i should begin by fulfilling my promise in the gita vahini swami says that while one acts in the present and in relation to worldly circumstances one must however perform the action with the eternal always in view what is it that is eternal god or the atma that alone is eternal therefore always performing one's duties keeping god in view is the essence of the bhagavad gita swami told me the same thing by remarking that in life everything is spiritual there is no such thing as this is worldly and does not concern god that is spiritual and therefore relevant to god and so on such factorization and compartmentalization is immature unwarranted and totally uncalled for certainly such segmentation does not get any sanction or approval from vedanta on the other hand the separation is an artifact invented by humans to dodge practicing dharma i am not making this up recently when i commented on corruption i think it was in heart to heart I received many mails protesting that corruption was simply a way of modern life and that it was not correct to bring in spirituality morality etc where corruption was concerned one devotee even wrote in our company we simply call it speed money that is money paid for the speedy rendering of service i would say that is pretty ingenious but all that does not wash sin into morality at least if i understand dharma vahini properly there is no way in which such legitimacy can be conferred on patently immoral acts all this just by way of reinforcing the point that every action must be spiritual with this background let us hear the next quote of swami and i quote you may claim that you live according to dharma but your basic flaw is that your acts are not done in the spirit of dedication if so done it gets stamped with the authentic mark of dharma some clever folk might raise a doubt and ask can we then kill an injure in the name of the lord dedicating the act to him well how can a person get the attitude of dedicating all his activities to the lord without at the same time being pure in thought word and deed love equanimity rectitude non-violence these are the attendant virtues of the servant of the lord how can cruelty and callousness coexist with these virtues end of quote i suppose the message is loud and clear one cannot claim one is a devotee of god and use that as an excuse to offer to god anything and everything especially immoral acts this is not at all far fetched I know for a fact that people pray to God 
and even go to temples and perform special pujas and what not so that some business ventures of theirs often based on shady practices would succeed here one is trying to do business with god is this what god expects of us if you do not believe me all you have to do is to make a trip to tirupati and watch how devotees offer all sorts of things to govinda most of the time as an advance payment or as a quid pro quo the human mind said a wise man has infinite capacity to trick itself indeed just as the mind tricks many into legitimizing immoral acts simply by offering it to god the mind equally offers its own definition of devotion or bhakti here is what swami says about this practice quote simple folk believe that they have bhakti towards the lord but they do not pause to inquire whether the lord has love towards them people who pine to discover this are rather rare that is really the true measure of spiritual success end of quote Yes, there is no use in declaring our undying love for God. The real point is whether God is ready to accept our declarations. In the quote just offered, Swami refers to a devotee pining for the Lord. I know one example where the devotee constantly did this. I am referring to the great musical saint Tyagaraja to whom Swami often makes a reference. Tyagaraja literally lived all his life with Lord Rama from morning to evening and in many of the innumerable songs he composed in honor of the Lord the saint wails and cries to have Rama's attention that is pining the next quote of swami that i shall be offering you is a bit technical and maybe i should say a few words by way of preparation i don't know whether you remember my mentioning earlier about the fundamental principle and the derived practical dharma so called in the quote that follows swami would be making a reference to many such specialized packages meant for men and women people who are householders elders and so on the essential point that is made is that while there are any number of derivative packages they are all better be consistent with atma dharma perhaps you find that difficult to understand don't worry i shall explain that but first let us have the quote here it is quote as wood is turned into furniture and used atma dharma has to be shaped into grahastha dharma vanaprastha dharma varna dharma stri dharma purusha dharma etc the stuff is the same in all the substance is identical in every separate form how can the substance be used up it can only be transmuted and transformed and various modifications named differently when used for different purposes the atma dharma can be viewed piecemeal and compartmentalized for different purposes even as the wood is hewn and sawed and joined and arranged and rearranged but it is atma dharma nevertheless So long as the different systems of dharma are derived from that wood there is no harm remember however that the furniture can never be regrouped into the original tree apply that atma dharma in the fields of worldly activity but do not call the 
worldly dharma satma dharma that will be playing false to the ideal the absolute end of quote so what exactly does this quote mean i have touched upon this point earlier but maybe i should explain it once more somewhat differently so that you would understand it better perhaps now as you know every country has a constitution america has one india has one and so on everywhere in every country the constitution is held to be the fundamental and guiding principle all laws made by the legislature or rules promulgated by the executive authority must always be in full conformity with the constitution the laws passed and the rules laid down are derivatives and unless they conform to the constitution they are likely to be dismissed by the courts as ultra virus or illegal swami is saying something similar in the days of yore emperor manu is supposed to have made up many such packages and these are collectively referred to as manudharma these packages are very useful at the working or practical level but occasions can arise when they may not be clear in those circumstances one has to check out the action contemplated or one's interpretation of manu's rule book by referring to the basic principle or atma dharma if it does not pass that test then out it goes by the way this was the fundamental teaching of krishna to arjuna you remember what happened arjuna wanted to drop out saying it's a sin to kill yes it is a sin to kill but as krishna pointed out that if by dropping out one is failing to protect dharma which is a mandated duty then one is actually on the side of adharma that is what emerges when the acid test of the fundamental principle or atma dharma is applied since i have discussed this extensively elsewhere i shall not pursue that angle any further here and so let me now move on to the next quote from swami's dharma vahini quote dharma is the moral path the moral path is the light the light is ananda dharma is characterized by holiness peace truth and fortitude dharma is yoga union and merger it is satya its attributes are justice sense control sense of honor love dignity goodness meditation sympathy and non violence such is dharma that persists through the ages it leads one on to universal love and unity end of quote this quote is short but full of deep meaning and we need to digest it slowly and carefully now dharma is a word that is so vast in scope that it is not easy to give meaning to it like one normally does in a dictionary in fact the nuances of dharma being so unique to india it is difficult to use the metaphors of a foreign language and describe the scope of dharma as i am trying to do now the first thing that swami says is that dharma leads one to ananda or eternal bliss in other words if any justification for following dharma is needed then it is this by following dharma one can attain permanent union with god or merger as it is often called 
and such a merger leaves one in a state where time stands still one is eternally happy and beyond the reach of any pain whatsoever this leads me to the next quote from swami quote wherever there is adherence to morality there one can see satya dharma in action in the bhagavad gita too it is said where there is dharma there is krishna where there are both dharma and krishna together there is victory dharma is the very embodiment of the lord since the world itself is the body of the lord the world is but another name for moral order no one can deny it now or ever end of quote the words that i quoted just now are extremely important and need some intense reflection basically it deals with an important issue namely making satya and dharma the basis for all actions it is in this context swami has quoted the last stanza of the gita which by the way are words spoken not by krishna nor by arjuna but by sanjaya the man who served as the running commentator for the blind king dhritarashtra just before launching the famous salt satyagraha during the indian freedom struggle mahatma gandhi quoted this last shloka and gave it the following interpretation which i think is very very powerful gandhi ji said that krishna represents the end while arjuna represents the mean in any activity that we undertake there is a certain goal and there are certain means that we must adopt to attain that goal some people think that if the end is good then all means are fair that is to say the end justifies the means vedanta firmly and most emphatically rejects this and that's exactly what gandhi ji reminded his followers about the point is very important because many people especially in politics often justify unfair practices including corruption with the dubious argument they say look i don't want any money personally i have enough but to stay in power one needs money how can one win elections without money therefore i collect money so that i can stay in office and serve the people i'm doing all this for public good you know that's all this argument has been put forth many times but it simply does not wash humans may be fooled people could fool themselves with such dubious excuses but god is not fooled he never was and he never would be that is what swami says the universe was created by god and it has a moral undercurrent one must never go against it it's as simple as that while on the subject of minor clarification people sometimes ask what if any is the connection between satya and dharma swami has given the answer he says dharma is nothing but satya in action and from that it follows as stated above that satya and dharma are really inseparable like the two sides of a coin all this might sound a bit heavy and difficult to understand but if we pause for a moment and reflect what swami says is not all that difficult to grasp let's now do a bit of revision the first thing bhagwan says is oh man do you know what real dharmic action is 
I shall tell you, it is that action which is in full harmony with your Atmic nature. You might wonder why God wants you to do that. Well, don't you want to be happy? Are you not doing all sorts of things in order to be happy? You are, are you not? All I am asking you to do is to act in accordance with your Atmic nature, real self, true self, call it what you will, because that way you would attain real happiness. That's essentially what Swami is telling us all the time. Now, this raises many questions, especially in the minds of people not used to spirituality. They would shake their heads and say, Listen, the key to happiness is money, lots of it. Don't you know if you have plenty of cash, you can buy your way out of any problem or difficulty? With wealth, one can have a nice house with many rooms, all air-conditioned and full of the latest gadgets, a couple of luxury cars, maybe even half a dozen, and vacation homes in many resort areas. With money, one can travel wherever one wants, whenever one wants, have rich and influential friends, etc., etc. And do you know what Vedanta's response to all this is? It says, Oh man, all that you say might appear to be true. But to what extent? Wealth can go away. In fact, even evaporate suddenly. Or else you may have a terrible medical problem like near paralysis. Of what use is your wealth at that time? At best you can buy expensive medical attention. The problem might not be physical but mental like deep depression caused by traumatic family life or whatever. What then? What can your wealth do in such a situation? Are you not aware of many rich people who lead an utterly miserable life? This might sound very terrible and even negative. One would ask and indeed many do. Does that mean that man is condemned to eternal misery? Does that mean life has no purpose? Is it that life is meant to be a huge burden? How can that be? Swami's answer, and this is very important, so we had better pay careful attention to it. Swami's answer is, O man, no one is declaring that you are born to be miserable, not at all. God in His infinite compassion and love has given you this life so that you can work your way to not just transient pleasure but eternal bliss. You know why? Because bliss is your true nature. O man, do not be deluded by the body. You are not the body but the eternal Atma and bliss is the nature of the Atma. So, truly speaking, bliss is your real heritage. I am sure you are totally lost. So let me help you out with the following imaginary dialogue between man and God. Man asks, God, if bliss is my heritage, then why am I so miserable? God smiles and replies, Son, that is because you are not opening the door to eternal happiness. Man is astounded. Wonderstruck he asks, but God, don't you know that I am struggling all the time to find happiness? I am working very hard, running around so that I can relax and be happy. How can you say I am not seeking happiness? God answers, My dear fellow, I am aware you are trying to find happiness. But how can you find it if you look for it in the wrong place? 
man then says to god o heavenly father i live in this world this is all i can see and experience that being the case where else can i seek happiness other than in this world god responds but man do you want fleeting happiness or real lasting happiness man is astounded by the question and says god who would want transient happiness i want permanent happiness indeed everyone wants that god smiles and says son i am happy to hear that you want permanent happiness are you aware that you are looking for it in the wrong place man is stunned and struggles to find words feebly he says but god why are you saying that well says god tell me dear son how can you find something permanent in an impermanent world don't you think you should look for something permanent in that which is itself permanent to start with i slipped in this imaginary dialogue between man and god mainly to stress that in this transient world pleasure always comes with pain they are like two sides of a coin can one have a coin with just only one side no and similarly in this transient world one cannot have pleasure forever can have pleasure for some time but afterwards pain is sure to come no escape from that well that might seem like depressing news so what is man to do is everything lost not really let us go back to some of the things i said earlier and break them down into simple steps and rules swami says the following one God wants man to follow dharma because that way man would unite permanently with god this is what is called merging with the absolute two when one merges with god the merger is forever which means that one is permanently free from bondage three freedom from bondage also means freedom from pain misery and suffering Remember bondage means being a slave to desires greed anger etc every one of which is sure to bring pain and suffering four okay one is free and there is no bondage what happens the answer is simple permanent bliss that is the main point i am aware that all this would be difficult to understand and even more difficult to put into practice because of the way we have been brought up and the worldly attitudes that have been etched and frozen into us for many many years but times are such and the difficulties that humanity faces are so huge that we have no choice but to get back to the basics and there is nothing more basic than satya and dharma while satya is the concept dharma is the practical manifestation of truth via action while satya is the foundation Dharma is the superstructure which can even be as huge as a skyscraper. Maybe I can give a little analogy or example to illustrate what is meant by being in tune with Satya and Dharma. Those of you who are familiar with classical Indian music, be it of the South Indian type or the Hindustani type, you would have noticed that the musicians invariably have an instrument called tambura that provides a background drone throughout the concert 
no matter what song is sung no matter what the tune or the raga is no matter in which region of the scale the musician is wandering the cardinal rule is that you must always be in tune with shruti or the drone of the tambura listen to this clip which provides an example Did you hear the clip? Did you get the idea? Good. The point being made is that in life, all actions must be ever in tune with Satya and Dharma, even as musicians are required never to deviate from the Shruti. If they deviate, it's called Apasruti and it's regarded as a distortion of music. Similarly, if action deviates from Dharma, it becomes Adharma. That's not difficult to follow, is it? Let us now gather our thoughts and see what all we have learned thus far. I put it as follows. One, adhering to dharma is essential for becoming one with God. Two, once one becomes one with God, it, one ceases to experience pain since one is transported to a state of permanent bliss. Three, and the recipe for achieving the state of permanent bliss is to make sure that that every single action of ours is in tune with the nature of the Atma. The same way a singer makes sure he is in tune with the Tambura. In practical terms, it means that every action must be saturated with Atma Bhavam, meaning the action must be full of selfless love, the way Swami's actions are. I think I have said enough for this talk and maybe I should sign off at this point. Take care. God bless. Enjoy Sai Ram.